Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. The last few Sundays have been full of some theological heavyweights. The Lord ascends to heaven to take the very body of humankind to the right hand of God. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends so that God himself begins to dwell in the temple of our bodies, now sanctified and in direct communion with God by humankind's place now in the throne room of God. The Spirit also sits at our right hand if we align our will with God so that God, instead of our sinful wills, can act on our behalf. Last Sunday, the Western tradition spends the first Sunday after Pentecost to reflect on the deep mystery of the Holy Trinity. And today, we reflect on yet another spiritual truth. Not only did the divine nature through the Holy Spirit descend to be with us, but the very resurrected body of Christ still resides with us today. Indeed, Christ has fulfilled his statement to the disciples at the end of Matthew. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As usual, there is a both and in our faith. Jesus sits in heaven at the right hand of God, and he is right here with us. Not in some figurative or spiritual sense, but in an absolutely literal one. Today is the Sunday of the octave of the most holy body of our Lord Jesus Christ, also called Corpus Christi. In the Western tradition, the Feast of Corpus Christi ranks with the Epiphany and Dignity next after Easter and Pentecost. It's a big deal because it emphasizes the reality that Jesus is right here with us right now. How? Through his presence in the Holy Eucharist. Unlike scholastically influenced Roman Catholics, we don't try to explain this with philosophical science. We let it remain a mystery. And nevertheless, we dogmatically affirm that the bread of the Holy Eucharist is not merely bread, but the very body of our Lord, mystically joined, without confusion, division, or separation, with the very divine. That we commune directly with God is a pretty big deal in itself. We don't just have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have a marital relationship with him. In the Eucharist, we become one flesh with him and hopefully leave our father and mother and cleave to him in our new birth. Didn't he tell us that when we left our father and mother for his sake, that we would receive a hundred times as much and would inherit eternal life? St. John Chrysostom says he mixed himself with us and dissolved his body in us so that we may constitute a wholeness and be a body united to the head. That itself is amazingly incredible, but there's still more. There's a line of theological reasoning in orthodox circles that heaven and hell are actually the same thing. That is the presence of the living God upon his return. To those that love him, that presence will be heaven, a beautiful, spectacular light, goodness that we can only imagine. But for those who don't love him, his presence will be hell, a consuming fire, an eternal judgment that weighs unrepented evil against the infinite goodness of God and finds the scales are in serious imbalance. I've always liked this view. One of the reasons it appeals so strongly to me 
is that it makes clear that hell is not some unquenchable fire dreamed up by a terrible God to punish evildoers. Rather, hell is just a consequence of God being God. The presence of infinite goodness is simply an illumining light that forever beats back the endless and endlessly torments the darkness. And yet, all of that sounds pretty scary, right? And it is, especially when we see judgment as something in the far off future, something that we can ignore right now while we continue in our less than perfect ways, such that that tension continues to build because we know what's coming and we still seem to be on the road to perdition. But for us as Orthodox Christians, judgment is not only an event in the future. It's something we should be experiencing frequently. We should be meeting the living God face to face as frequently as possible. And one of the places we directly meet the divine is in the Holy Eucharist. In fact, St. Paul tells us that when we eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, we are guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Put another way in the King James Version, it says, He that eateth or drinketh unworthily eateth and, drinking, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Yikes. But does St. Paul then say we should avoid the Eucharist because of this? Not at all. Instead, he says we need to face the judgment. Here's St. Paul. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In far too many instances and for far too long, communion was reduced in, Orthodox, in orthodoxy to a once-in-a-year obligation rather than a frequent and joyous reunion with the very source of our life, in part because of concerns over our worthiness. Yet we cannot fear our unworthiness. Just as hell is a consequence of God being God, unworthiness is a condition of fallen man. So we must face the truth and approach the source of all truth with a capital T. It's easy to turn what should be a healthy veneration into a dangerous trepidation. Yes, we should have a deep reverence for participating in the Eucharist, but the moment we become fearful in the modern sense, then Satan has defeated us. God didn't do all the work we've talked about over the last several weeks so that we could keep our distance from him. In fact, as I mentioned on Pentecost, he wasn't even satisfied with walking with us in the garden. Instead, despite all of our disobedience, all the trouble we got ourselves into, he pursued us. He chased us. Not so that we could walk with him in the garden again, but so that he could walk in us and we in him, in the here and the now. I don't know a more beautiful story. And if we somehow think that through preparation, we can become worthy to approach the table, we are sorely mistaken. Alexander Schmemann in his treatise, Holy Things for the Holy says, that it's simply impossible to find one patristic text in support of the idea that since one cannot partake of the mysteries worthily, it is better to abstain from them. And he then quotes from St. John Cassian. St. John says, we must not avoid communion because we deem ourselves to be sinful. We must approach it more often for the healing of the soul and the purification of the spirit. But with such humility and faith that considering ourselves unworthy, we would desire even more the medicine for our wounds. 
Otherwise, it is impossible to receive communion once a year, as certain people do. Considering the sanctification of heavenly mysteries as available only to saints, it's better to think that by giving us grace, the sacrament makes us pure and holy. Such people manifest more pride than humility, for when they receive, they think themselves worthy. It is much better if, in humility of heart, knowing that we are never worthy of the holy mysteries, we would receive them every Sunday for the healing of our diseases. Yes, we cannot avoid. Instead, we must come, but come with discernment. We must discern between, as Paul puts it in Ephesians, the old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt, and I emphasize is as the present tense, not was, is corrupt through deceitful desires, and the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. To live in this world is to live in that tension. And as long as we recognize the boundary between the two and strive for the latter, we are on the narrow road that leads to salvation. We're not only capable of receiving the body of Christ because we have been made holy by and in Christ, not by some worthiness of our own, but by God's boundless grace and by the righteous acts of Christ himself. So here I'll close on this Sunday within the octave of Corpus Christi with some beautiful words from Alexander Smimmon from that same treatise, Holy Things Are for the Holy, and our preparation, on our, talking about our preparation for communion. He says, in practical terms, this preparation consists, first of all, in the awareness not only of Christian principles in general, but precisely of communion itself, both of the one that I have already received and which, by making me a partaker of the body and blood of Christ, judges my life, challenges me with the inescapable call to be what I have become and of the one that I shall receive in the life and holiness and approaching light of which time itself all the details of my life acquire an importance, a spiritual significance, from which a purely human and secular point of view they would not have. A venerable priest, when asked how one can live a Christian life in the world, answered, simply by remembering that tomorrow, or after tomorrow, or in a few days, I shall receive Holy Communion. So my brothers and sisters, may we always be mindful that as Christians, we shall receive Holy Communion, whether in a few moments, days, or weeks, and that when we do, we will fall into the hands of the living, but also an infinitely loving God. May we use each of those foretastes of the heavenly kingdom so that when finally one day we experience the ultimate Holy Communion, when God returns for the final judgment, we are prepared. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.